Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea. A new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast, where we talk about hidden history, deep political policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the Odd Man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. What's up, oddities? Well, you can probably tell that like last episode, I'm recording in a different space and there's a bit of an echo, so I do want to apologize for that, but it can't be avoided. This is the only place I have to do it right now, so I am going to do the show. And I do have a special show planned for you, something I've been working on, and I think that you'll really enjoy it. A little bit different, but... It also connects to some of the other shows and topics I've covered. And this week we'll be covering Michael Aquino or Aquino and the Temple of Set. Now, some of you have heard other conspiracy talk show hosts and different alt media people mention Aquino or Aquino as I've heard other people who actually are in the know call him. So I will call him Aquino. And so he was the founder of this church called the Temple of Set. He worked under the tutelage, if you will, of Anton LaVey, the founder of the Satanic Church. And the thing that makes Aquino different, I think, as I've studied him more, is the fact that he was in the armed forces and spent a whole career a long career in the military, and even wrote books about psyops and psychological warfare on behalf of the Army Reserves, no less. And he was very decorated. And you can see that Anton LaVey was also an intelligent person, and Aquino says that LaVey was very schooled in the dark arts or the black arts, but they had different philosophies, and LeVay was a little bit older than Aquino. 
It's kind of interesting how the two kind of met up. Uh, there was a showing of the movie Rosemary's Babies, and Aquino went to see it. Well, he was serving in the military in the reserves at this time. It was during the Vietnam era, I believe. And lo and behold, Aquino says that LeVay and a bunch of his flunkies were there at the movie theater, all dressed in black and kind of making a, a bit of a showing themselves at the movies. So you can imagine going to a horror movie and seeing a bunch of people dressed in black cloaks and possibly pentagrams and whatever else they had. And of course, Anton LaVey was a strange looking dude anyway, and he was going to uh, cause some heads to turn just by his strange appearance. So Aquino had to introduce himself and pretty much right after that worked his way into the Church of Satan and ended up being an important church administrator for LeVay and his wife and became very close with them. And he worked there for 10 plus years while he still served in the military, of course, and um, during that 10 years, Aquino started noticing that LeVay became more reserved. Uh, he didn't want to really be around a lot of people. And you could equate that with him getting a lot of pushback. A lot of people hated him. And, uh, you know, they didn't like what he was presenting, of course. And also, by that time, he had made his money, he had gotten the girls, he had gotten whatever he'd wanted, the drugs, the booze, whatever you want. I kind of equate it to a rock star. You know, these bands, they, they start out with, you know, the first record or two is pretty darn good. And then once they make all the money and get the chicks and stuff, the music starts to suffer because they don't have that angst and that drive any longer. So I'm sure that part of it was just that. And Aquino says that LeVay stopped wanting to even speak at the Church of Satan except in front of his elite or elect crowd. And so they started getting a lot of complaints there. And eventually LeVay, who had developed this degree system based on Freemasonry, of course, I kind of wanted to change that even. And Aquino didn't agree with that. And other parishioners, if you will, did not agree with that. So there started to be this bit of rebellion, if you will, I guess. And Aquino really, he talks in his books about his affection for LeVay and his wife, and he really looked up to him, and he said they, they were kind of like parental figures to him, even though he had parents. And so he was really distraught. Now, the thing that Aquino kind of brings to the table is his seriousness about the whole thing. He didn't like this hokey B-horror movie kind of um, vibe that LeVay liked. Uh, LeVay was really into these B-horror films and whatnot, and uh, Aquino did not like that. I mean, he liked horror films, and he they say that he was a bit obsessed with certain movies, 80s horror movies, 
himself, but he didn't want to bring in the hokey vibe. So that was one of the things that really started to fall apart there. He didn't like the way that LeVay was running the thing, and he tried to speak to him different occasions, on different occasions, him and his wife, and he wasn't able to get through to them. They're kind of set in their ways about what they were doing. And so Aquino says in his book, Temple of Set, that he decided to take it to the source himself because he really did believe that LeVay was kind of like Satan's um, representative here on earth. And so he said that he would talk directly to Satan through ritual and whatnot to try to figure out if he could change LeVay's mind or kind of turn things around for the temple or for the Church of Satan. And uh, so anyway, you're wondering, hey, where are you getting this information? So I've been able to find several really interesting books. One, as I mentioned, is The Temple of Set, and that is by Michael Aquino. And there is a volume one and two. I only have one, and I'm not finished with it, but I'm tearing through it as I can. But also, I found a very interesting book by one of Aquino's mistresses. And her pen name for the book is Linda Blood. I've seen her last name as put as Osborne as well, Linda Blood Osborne. But she had an affair with Aquino, and that lasted for about a year, a little over. She was married, he was married, uh, she joined the church, and that's how she kind of began to have an affair with him. It's weird because she had been, for some reason, she'd started writing him. She'd read about him, she started writing to him, and he would write back. And after a few months, they met at one of their meetings at some hotel. They would have these conventions at the Temple of Set. So they met there and uh, began to have their affair. And she said, while... She was having an affair with him. She started, of course, to learn more about him. And she learned his affinity for Nazi memorabilia. In fact, there's a famous castle. I, I forget the name off the cuff here, but there was a famous castle that he had went to a couple of times in Germany to do rituals. And he had this affinity for Nazi memorabilia. And, of course, we know through Himmler and, and these different... Uh, Nazis and the different information that's come out over the years that some of those guys were deep into the occult. And you can look back at the Thule Society and Vril and, and look at those type of things, but they were all about the Ubermensch and creating Superman, you know. But um, he had that kind of uh, love for different parts of the Nazi vibe the nazi i mean i think he really thought there was something to that whole norse aryan mythology and the power behind it so she talks about that uh, you know it seems like to me that she gives a pretty fair um, representation of aquino and the thing that also makes her interesting is after she was able to kind of break the spell and leave him, she became 
and a really outspoken person against cults. She started helping people who had been in cults get through their issues and their problems and get the help that they needed because she says at the time there wasn't really hardly anything like that. And so she was helping satanic ritual abuse survivors get through their trauma. And this book, The New Satanist, it's a heavy read in a sense. It's very well written. It's hard to find. If you want to find the paperback, you're going to pay like two or three hundred dollars for it. I was finally able to find the PDF after like three years of searching. But uh, it's a heavy book as far as the Aquino and the LeVay part is very interesting and, and straightforward. But she covers a lot of satanic ritual abuse and pedophilia crimes connected to occult beliefs. And of course, there's the infamous Presidio pedophilia crimes and cases that she gets into that are directly related to Aquino and even members of the military because they happened at military bases, or some of them did. And some of them happened, some of these crimes happened to family members of military who were serving. And they had their children in these daycare centers but not to skip ahead too much, it's, it's very interesting to see what all was going on that was related to Aquino and LeVay and that whole thing. And there were quite a few military members who were serving with Aquino who were in the Temple of Set, believe it or not. And it was really him who is regarded as having... I don't know how to say it exactly, but getting the military to accept the Church of Satan and the Temple of Set as religions. And so they had to accept them. They couldn't exclude them or discriminate against them. And that's the way our freedom works here as far as freedom of religion goes. And that's because I think a lot of the founders were Freemasons, and they weren't Christians. They were deists and, and had other beliefs, and so they didn't want to make a specific religion to uh, put in the Constitution and, and to have the laws that defended a certain religion. They wanted it to be broad, which was probably a good idea considering that you have all the different sects of Christianity and it would be very hard to discriminate against other religions. Anyway, that's a whole nother show, I guess. But um, Aquino was kind of the guy who is known for kind of having that happen in the military. Another thing that's really interesting that I found, and I think that you guys will find this interesting as well, is that Aquino drafted a paper under the PSYOP division in the Army Reserves. Now, he worked his way up to a colonel in the Army Reserves. And, you know, we hear a lot about Aquino here and there in conspiracy circles. And they usually mention the uh, pedophilia and the Presidio investigations. But I think that it might help to actually read about Aquino's Accomplishments. Now, I had no idea he was such an accomplished 
member of the military. In the back of his book, Mind War, which is a continuance of the PSYOP papers he wrote in the reserve, he wrote this book, Mind War, and put it out in 2016. And that might have been a reprint. It might have come out even earlier. I'm not sure. But it's a very, very interesting book. But I will read what it says about him in the back. It's a bit of a long read here, but just listen to how accomplished this dude was, okay? It says, after commencing his military career as a cadet colonel of the Santa Barbara High School Junior ROTC in 1964, Michael Aquino was commissioned in the regular Army as a senior ROTC Distinguished Military Graduate of the University of California in 68. After a year with the 117th Cavalry, 82nd Airborne Division, he completed the PSYOP Officer Course at the Distinguished John F. Kennedy Special Warfare School, in which he was among the select students cross-trained with the Concurrent Special Forces Officer Course. During 69 and 70, he was assigned to the 6th PSYOP Battalion, 4th Group, Vietnam. And that's around the time, 69 I believe is when he met LeVay, if I'm not mistaken. It goes on to say, As an HA command and control team leader, he was responsible for both tactical HB teams in combat operations and audio-visual HE teams in the civil operations and revolutionary development support or the CORDS program, C-O-R-D-S, and flew numerous PSYOP air support missions throughout 3rd Corps tactical zones with both the U.S. Air Force and Army Aviation. In 72, he joined the 306th PSYOP Battalion Strategic USAR, or USAR, at Fort MacArthur, California. For the next seven years, he served as Research and Analysis FA Team Leader and Operations Officer, and finally Executive Officer. In the 306th Division, whose members range from eccentric Hollywood personalities to dour LAPD officers, he oversaw highly classified basic PSYOP studies for the Joint Chiefs of Staff. PSYOP support for the training of units such as the 12th Special Forces and the use of the 306th Atmospheric World War II-era bunkers for space combat scenes in the original Battlestar Galactica television series. Interesting, eh? In 1976, he was selected for the Foreign Area Officer Career Program. He completed that qualification at the Special Warfare Center and Central Intelligence Agency during the next three years and participated in the NATO reforger exercises as a Western Europe specialist. In 1976, he also completed the remaining course requirements for Special Forces and was awarded that tab upon its creation in 1984. I know, it's long, right, guys? I mean, it's crazy. Have a stick with me here. From 79 to 81, he served as the FA team leader for headquarters 7th PSYOP Group San Francisco, during which he and the group commander collaborated on the predecessor concept paper to this book, Mind War. 
Returning to active duty in 1981, he was transferred to Civil Affairs Branch and completed its advanced course at the Special Warfare Center as the Distinguished Graduate and received the rare primary skill identifier of Political Military Affairs Officer 48G. In this capacity, he was sent to the State Department Foreign Service Institute and the Defense Intelligence Agency for attache qualification. Completed the Military Intelligence Officer Advanced Course at, excuse me, got to turn the page, at Fort Huachuca. And in 1986, he was reassigned to the Military Intelligence Branch. In 1986 to 1987, he was the sole USAR officer selected to attend the Industrial College of the National Defense University. During that year, he worked with the U.S. Information Agency, representative at the National War College on the PSYOP Ethics Paper, which is also a predecessor to this book. I think I have the PDF of that, and I'm going to put it in the show notes. In 1990, he was one of the first Army's officers to be certified in Joint Space Intelligence by the U.S. Air Force. He was assigned to the J-2HQ U.S. Space Command, where in Section X out of the Cheyenne Mountain or NORAD complex, he was involved with those files until he retired from the active USAR in 1994. Since the Army had waited until the exact date of his final USA retirement, 2006, to create the PSYOP branch, it graciously transferred him posthumously to the green and gray in 2011. He has retained his original affiliation with the 1st Special Forces Regiment out of the respect for that unique honor. I know, I know, I know, it keeps going. We'll be, we'll be done in a minute. His American decorations include the Bronze Star, the Meritorious Service Medal, Air Medal, three Army Commendation Medals, two Army Reserve Achievement Medals, Parachutist Badge, Special Forces Tab, USAF Space and Missile Badge. Vietnamese decorations include the Gallantry Cross, Psychological Warfare Medal, and Air Service Medal. Academically, he received the Ph.D. in Political Science from the University of California in 1980 and the MPA in National Resource Management from Washington University in 1987. He taught as an adjunct professor of political science at Golden Gate University from 1980 to 1986. Professionally, he is a member of the Special Forces, PSYOP, Civil Affairs, Former Intelligence Officers, and Air Space Missile Defense Associations. Yeah. <laughs> you talk about uh, a record, right? You talk about a service history. And in finishing, he is a past national commander of the Knights of Dunamis Eagle Scout Honor Society. <laughs> That's perfect, right? And recipient of its Knight Eagle Distinguished Service Award. He has also received the Vigil Honor of Scouting's Order of the Arrow and the Distinguished Service Key of Alpha Pi Omega Fraternity. He is a priest of the ancient Egyptian god Set. After the conclusion of his U.S. government service, the Constitution permitted him to be recognized by the Scotland's 
Lord Lion King of Arms as the current Baron of Rashane Argyleshire. He, Baroness Lilith, his wife, and the inevitable immortal cats live in San Francisco. And that's it. Look at that. Woo! Michael Aquino. Highly decorated. Highly connected. And the founder of the Temple of Set. I mean, this guy, <laughs> he has scored books like Mind War, Mind Star, Find Far, Temple of Set 1 and 2. And I believe that he did write another book trying to refute the allegations against him for the Presidio child abuse scandals. And it really sounds like when you read this book by Linda Blood that the military really stuck by him when he was under investigation. And it seems like that some of these investigations were called off at the top, or, or maybe not the top, but in by the higher members of the military. And there wasn't a lot of will to deeply investigate some of these allegations. This guy was a lifelong service member, you know, as an adult. Started out in the ROTC in, in school. So, I mean, it's just amazing. I had no idea that that history, that long, long history was there. Because I just hear little bits and pieces about Aquino from other conspiracy podcasters and researchers. And I'm sure other people have done a great job of investigating this. But I thought, you know what? This deserves a really good look into Aquino, the Temple of Set, and even some of the uh, Presidio allegations. And it also directly relates back to Anton LaVey and of course, the Church of Satan and that whole founding, that rich history there that's very interesting. And one of the things that makes it even more interesting is all the, you know, all the celebrities who befriended LeVay and wanted to be a part of that. You know, guys like Sammy Davis Jr., who was part of the infamous Rat Pack, no less. Uh, you know, Marilyn Monroe, of course, was connected to LeVay. But I thought... In getting to the really, really juicy stuff, and we can talk about the Temple of Set and the satanic side of this whole thing, and we will. This will probably be a two-parter. But I'm reading through this Mind War book, and this book is just amazing to me. Uh, the stuff that Aquino talks about. I mean, Aquino was no dummy. He was very intelligent, as you can tell by... His history, but uh, one of the really, really interesting things. This book is basically a, a book about psyops and a book about psychological warfare. And uh, one of the things that Aquino says in here, I thought was kind of an interesting quote about this book, Mind War. He says that mind war is magic. Every mind warrior must therefore be a magician. That's just one, of course, one little uh, quote there. But on page 108, under Psycon number 6, 
thought this was really interesting. He talks about atmospheric ionization. Okay, This is geoengineering the weather. And he's telling you what they do right here. Listen. A negatively ionized atmosphere induces relaxation, alertness, energy, and a general sense of well-being in humans who breathe it, only as long as they continue to breathe it. By contrast, exposure to a positively ionized atmosphere induces lethargy, exhaustion, irritability, and confusion. In a mind war campaign, therefore, it is useful to negatively ionize the atmosphere not only in the subject geographical area, but in mine war facilities themselves. Here it is important to distinguish positively, negatively ionized air as a result from ionizing radiation as a cause. Normal atoms consist of an equal number of positively charged protons in addition to non-charged neutrons and orbiting negatively charged electrons. An ion is any atom or molecule with the greater number of electrons, negative ion, anion, and that's A-N-I-O-N, or a lesser amount, positive ion, and that's a cation or sadion. I guess it's cation, but it's spelled with a C. Such imbalances are caused by external radiation strong enough to disrupt the atom. It is ionizing radiation which accounts for the damage to humans from nuclear bombs, alpha, beta, gamma, x-ray, and neutron. The air humans breathe contains varying mixtures of atoms, anions, and cations. Air ionizers do not create ions by radiation. Rather, they generate an electrical field which causes cations to ground, leaving in the air and attaching themselves to the earth or other grounded substances. Consequently, a human in the vicinity will breathe a higher percentage of anions, causing the beneficial sensations. Naturally occurring anionic atmosphere can be caused by electrical discharge, such as lightning or fast-moving water molecules, rainstorms, waterfalls, sea waves, etc. As such events can be predicted or such areas identified, mind war should take advantage of them to condition the mental dispositions of individuals subjected to them. Cationic air forces result from dry atmospheric conditions and winds, most significantly the catabotic and rain shadow winds. A catabotic wind, such as the California Santa Ana or the Adriatic Bora, Japanese Oroshi is a wind that carries high-density air from a higher elevation down a slope under the force of gravity. Shadow winds such as the Alpine Fawn and the South African Bergwind result when air-driven upslope on the windward side of the mountain range loses its moisture before descending on the far side. Alright, hang with me here. Cationic air can also be caused by any high-velocity abrasion, such as rough surfaces and sharp angles in air conditioning or ventilating systems. All mine war environments, both planning, operational, and subject area, should be pre-tested for the ionization and adjusted, or the people relocated, to the ionic insofar as possible. Within closed areas, artificial ionizers can be overtly or covertly employed 
and in open areas, devices for creating favorable atmospheric conditions, e.g. rainstorms, may be both strategically and tactically employed. Now talk about um, Operation Popeye during Vietnam. I mean, you go to watch the documentary, as I've recommended many times, Frankenskies. It's got the history there of weather modification. And they've been doing these kind of things for years and years, decades and decades. It's not a conspiracy. They've come very far in it. They shoot different types of metal particulates in the air. They can control a lot of the weather. Not all of it, but of course, if they can use weather as a force multiplier, then they will do that. And it goes on to say, insertion of a metaphor's team into a subject location, for instance, should be preceded and accompanied by an anionic blanket for the safety and efficiency of the team itself, as well as for the receptive conditioning of persons or groups it encounters. I thought that was really interesting, right? I mean, he is telling you there that they know how to control environments, make people lethargic, confused, angry. They know how to do that. I mean, it's not a conspiracy. Just face facts, guys. I know it's scary, but it's the truth. He even gets into, which directly relates to the occult. And you could talk to New York Patriot and his co-host Lux about colors in the occult and what they mean. And of course, it would just make sense that Michael Aquino knows full well about these colors as well. And he talks about it in here under Psycon Color. I won't read this whole thing, but I'm just going to read you a few minutes. They know how different colors psychologically affect the human mind. He says, in conventional PSYOP, colors are used culturally and socially with respect to target audiences. Thus, while black is the color of death in the American European countries, white represents it in China, India, Vietnam, and Korea. While not ignoring such traditional connotations, Mind War is more concerned with color as it directly impacts and influences the human brain as EMR. The inclusive scientific discipline is that of photobiology, the study of the effects of light on biological systems. The EMS ranges from a theoretical long wave, the length of the universe, to short high-frequency waves, a fraction of the size of an atom. While the extremes of the EMS are theoretically infinite for practical scientific measurement, the range extends from 0 hertz or cycles to the 10 picometers within the vast range of EMR and the conscious human senses that can detect only the tiny ranges of visible light, heat, and audible sound. I mean, he really gets detailed in there. And, uh, you know, he talks about different studies, but they know exactly how something as simple as a triangle, circle, square, or any other, you know, a lightning bolt, but they know how to affect you with subtle ways, such as colors, which, you know, the average person would never even think twice about that. And this is known in advertising, of course, that colors... You know, they bring out certain emotions in people, and so they are very strategic in the way they use 
colors for advertising, but this goes way back into the occult. So uh, Aquino talks about that. He also talks about shapes. So I thought that was very interesting too. Of course, we know, you know, we've talked about how when you first get woke, quote unquote woke, and you start seeing, you know, every time you see a pyramid, you know, you're kind of like, oh man, the Illuminati, you know. And, you know, I still have to fight myself on that. But, you know, it's just one of those things, even though a triangle is a very basic shape, but yet it does mean a lot to the mystery schools and people in these different occult groups and magicians and whatnot. And so I think it's kind of like a balancing act. How much do you, as someone who's not in a mystery school or not a, a magician, how, how do you control how much impact on you psychologically shapes have, symbology has? Because you know it means a lot to perhaps your enemies or the New World Order. Or these people are trying to bring on this uh, global governance and whatnot. And this so-called brotherhood of man, which is going to be, you know, the new world order. How much do you let that affect you just because you know that it means a lot to them? You can't let yourself go crazy over it. And, and we talked to Mo from Mo Facts with Adam Curry about that. You know, kind of uh, not letting yourself get carried away with this symbology because it's everywhere and we cannot drive ourselves insane with it. You know, I think that uh, some of these things are put out there, you know, on social media to kind of drive us crazy. They're trying to overwhelm us with symbology. But anyway, I'll uh, read just a little bit about shapes. I think it's pretty interesting. He says, humans are subconsciously influenced by their apprehension of certain shapes or patterns in objects or in pictures. This refers back to the previously discussed pattern thinking phenomenon and is essentially a categorization of its components. Since the natural tendency of human perception is to unconsciously recognize, classify, and disregard the vast amount of a routinely encountered visual input, anything intended to seize and hold a passive subject's attention must fulfill what the photographer William Mortison called the command to look, or CTL. The CTL consists of three elements, impact, subject interest, and participation. The impact of an image is not intellectual, but biological and subconscious. It is essentially a reaction to the sudden perception of danger, signaled by a certain shape, angle, or pattern, or patterns, which are inherently alarming and destabilizing. And then he talks about the four basic types of patterns. The diagonal, the diagonal, the lightning bolt, something that moves swiftly with determination. Number two, the S-curve, e.g. the snake, something that approaches in a slithering fashion or the curves of the body, especially female, the line of beauty. Number three, triangle. Triangle combinations, e.g. a blade, sharp points, or teeth, the threat of sharpness. Or lastly, number four, the dominant mass, e.g. a large animal or trapezoid. 
massive block in one's path. And of course, you think about the order of the trapezoid, I believe was one of the different factions of the Church of Satan. Anyway, a constructed mind war image will contain combinations of these, including included with or integrated within the superficial image to seize and hold the viewer's attention. Perhaps the most striking illustration of such techniques was the German Expressionist cinema of the early 20th century. And he cites um, Dr. Morton Walker, The Power of Color, and William Mortison, The Command to Look. So if you guys want to look into that further and see how shapes affect us psychologically, I think that's damn interesting. The whole book is interesting for the most part. It's got a little bit of repetitiveness in it, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's very interesting to see. There's even a couple of sections where he, they're called false flag, or false flags, and he explains what a false flag operation is, why they would need to do that, how they do it. Uh, you know, he's got a section in here about hypnotism, he says that hypnotism was named after the Greek god of sleep, Hypnos. And he talks about uh, Operation Artichoke and MK Ultra. He mentions the Manchurian Candidate. Another uh, quote here I thought was interesting. He's talking about emotional pattern thinking. He says the strongest of such themes are sex, sentiment, and wonder the time-tested staples of the entertainment and advertising industries. So it's, it's funny how these psychological techniques, operations, and whatnot, they really do align with so much that's played on us, even in things that seem relatively harmless, like advertising certain products. But especially in movies, TV, music, art, different things like that, we don't even think about it, but definitely definitely it's in there he's got a little quote here he's talking about um he's talking about the 1919 classic the cabinet of dr caligari and he's talking about the different shapes that were purposely used as backdrops in that movie and because they wanted to affect people in certain ways and i thought it was funny just one little line here it says but what matters is to create states of anxiety and terror. The diversity of planes has only secondary importance. So, you know, it's like we say everything is really is connected in certain ways. It's just crazy to think about, and we don't want to think about it. It's kind of scary to think about how much BS we are subjected to, you know. He gets in here even about vibrations. That's big in the occult, you know. Uh, he says, under brainwave resonance, or BWR, EMR in the brain occurs in waves measured according to cycles per second. There's delta waves and theta waves. Isn't a theta, isn't that something to do with uh, Scientology? There's also alpha waves. And he gets into that, but he says, a vibration of large amplitude in a mechanical or electric system caused by a relatively small periodic stimulus of the same or nearly the same period as the natural vibration period of the system. The intensification and enriching of a musical tone 
by supplementary vibration that is either sympathetically or mechanically induced. So I won't get deep into that, but obviously we know that those things exist. He, he gets into, you know, MK Ultra and microwaves, different types of waves. One section here, he's talking about the influence continuum under uh, liminal involuntary side control. He says, Mind War LIPC is effective because it first identifies the governing thought patterns, then stimulates individuals' core reality lenses to interpret them in the desired way. The next evolution in LIPC will be to electronically map thought patterns which have the same impact among all humans sharing them and, check this out, and to artificially generate and transmit them to target groups through electronic media. And he cites Neuroscientists Unlock Shared Brain Codes, Medical Press, October 20th, 2011. I mean, it's... Uh, they know how to control us, guys. I talk about it quite a bit. Um, in a way, it's refreshing because he just, you know, he admits it in this book and talks about it openly. One of his things he come up with in here is he calls it, or he called it, thought architecture. He says, in order to influence and control the human mind, mind war must first know how thoughts are inspired and constructed. This requires an Identification of the two types of thought emergence, the unconscious and the conscious. Despite the fact that 95% of thinking is subconscious, most people assume that their opinions, ideas, and conclusions are all conscious decisions. Indeed, much of traditional MISO is based upon the assumption that it is the deliberately constructed ideas of an audience which are the target. This is why such campaigns are so ineffective. You know, and he gets into unconscious thought patterns and different things like that. Um, I don't know. I mean, this book, I, you know, you hate to give any money to the Tipple of Set or Aquino's relatives. I don't know if his wife, Lilith, of course, that would be the name, right? I don't know if she's still alive or not, but... Um, uh, I don't know. I don't think they had any kids. It's kind of an odd thing. You know, a lot of these cultists don't have children for whatever reason. You know, we get into Manly P. Hall didn't have kids. Blavatsky didn't have kids. I've mentioned that before. Of course, LeVay had a child, I think Sheena. And uh, she was with the, uh, what was his name? Max Shrek or Shrek? can't remember. I'll have to look into that. The guy was in the werewolf order. But um, anyway, um, some really interesting stuff in here. But to get back to Aquino, and we'll touch on Mind War again because there's so many good things in here. But to get back into Aquino's personal life and um, the Temple of Set, I mean, there's so much going on there. I thought I would just kind of read a little bit about what led Aquino to leave the Church of Satan. And I talked about that a little bit, but let's read from this book, The New Satanists. 
It says, in 1968, Aquino, a former national commander of the Eagle Scouts Honor Society, would have seemed an unlikely candidate for the future head of the foremost satanic organization in America. The young U.S. Army lieutenant, already a specialist in intelligence and psychological warfare, seemed destined instead for a respectable, distinguished military career. Aquino, who holds a doctorate in political science from the University of California at Santa Barbara, has qualified in the Airborne Special Forces Psychological Operations Strategic Intelligence and Defense Attaché divisions within the military. His involvement in psychological warfare operations goes back to his 1969 tour of duty in Vietnam when he served as a tactical psychological operations officer in the 82nd Airborne Division. He received the Bronze Star, the Air Medal, and the Vietnamese Cross of Gallantry. In 73, having joined the Army Reserves, he became an executive officer of the 306th Psychological Operations Battalion at Fort MacArthur in California. Um, as Aquino tells it, he first encountered Satanism one night in 1968 when he spotted LaVey and a group of his robed followers in the lobby of the San Francisco Theater where the film Rosemary's Babies was showing. A subsequent visit to one of LeBay's Friday night lectures convinced him that beneath all the Church of Satan's vaudeville hype lay his true spiritual home, and he signed on as a member. In between missions in Vietnam, Aquino composed what would be the first of many satanic fantasies, a reworking of John Milton's Paradise Lost, glorifying the viewpoint of Satan and the fallen angels, which he called the Diabolicon. He shipped off a copy to LeVay, who was sufficiently impressed to promote him to the Church of Satan's priesthood. Upon his return, Aquino began working his way into positions as LeVay's left-hand man, <laughs> clever, and editor of the church's newsletter, The Cloven Hoof. <laughs> In 72, LeVay no longer held public gatherings at the Black House, but instead focused on the activities of dozens of local Church of Satan groups called Grottos, which he hoped to develop in a network of underground satanic cabals. He had instituted an elaborate system of hierarchical degrees that had to be achieved through passage of examinations measuring the aspirant's understanding of the black arts. Aquino's hero worship of LeVay had extended to his belief that through him, Satan had channeled a message of honor to the Church of Satan founder. He was to be designated as Daemon, a true god with the power to alter machinery of the cosmos. But now, LeVay wanted to bring more money into the Church of Satan, and to this end, he announced his intention to grant memberships and degrees in the group in exchange for material contributions. It was a perfectly consistent policy decision for this expansionist-minded Satanist who measured each member's worth by the degree of his or her material success in the outside world. LeVay counted on such members to provide the church with funds and prestige and had grown impatient with the more insular members like Aquino, whose interest lay in climbing this degree ladder. Aquino faced with the prospect that his formidable occultist erudition and learning would now convey no great standing than would the cash offerings of the hoi polloi 
and was devastated over LeVay's alleged betrayal of Satanist principles. <laughs> right? He was also upset with LeVay for treating Satan as a symbolic figurehead rather than as a real metaphysical presence. Unable to reconcile himself to LeVay's ultimatum, Aquino conducted a meditation ritual. He went into a trance at four in the morning on the summer solstice in June 1975 and appealed directly to Satan. According to him, it was Set, the ancient Egyptian god of darkness and the earliest form of Satan, who answered his call and who revealed to him the religious manifesto Aquino calls the Book of Coming Forth by Night. In it, Set denotes LeVay and elevates Aquino, excuse me, in it, Set demotes LeVay and elevates Aquino to the position of prophet of his coming age, the Aeon of Set. While he was at it, he also designated him the second beast from the biblical book of Revelation. Aquino thus believes that he has been given a supernatural mandate to usher in a new Satanist religion, and that he has evolved from a mere human into some kind of godlike being with otherworldly powers. Quino is alleged to have marked the event by having the number 666, the symbol of the Antichrist, tattooed somewhere on his head. The mark is also said to have been inspired by Aquino's favorite celluloid antihero, Damien, the Antichrist protagonist of the Omen movie series. Whatever the case, Aquino's wife denies the claim, and Aquino himself is coy about whether the tattoo exists. Asked point-blank by Oprah Winfrey during an interview, he replied, Well, do you see it? Oprah was not about to go looking, nor apparently was she aware that in his analysis of the Book of the Coming Forth by Night, Aquino makes the following curious observation. Collectors of magical happenstance may take note of the following concerning the person of Michael Aquino. He was also born dead, raising the question of the nature of the force inhabiting his subsequently revived body. On his chest, he bears the same whorled swastika appearing on Crowley and the Buddha, and from infancy, his eyebrows have always curled upward in the horns described in the biblical book of Revelation. Aquino also comments that he was born in 1946, precisely nine months after he working by Crowley's California disciples to create a homunculus, an artificial being created by magic, per secret instruction of Crowley's to the is at the fifth degree of his Ordo Templi Orientis. It is interesting to note that in his book, The Occult Explosion, Nat Freelands reports that a Hollywood occultist named Renate Drux told him she believed that Jack Parsons, the California OTO leader who performed the Babylon working with L. Ron Hubbard, leader of Scientology, had been working on something very strange, some kind of experiments trying to create what the old alchemists called homunculus, a tiny artificial man with magic powers. However, Parson died in an explosion in his home laboratory in 1952. 
Drux suspects it was one of his alchemical experiments gone wrong. Now, following his acceptance of Set's revelation, Aquino resigned from the Church of Satan and formed the Temple of Set around himself and several dozen other disgruntled LeVay acolytes. He replaced LeVay's sleazy circus atmosphere with a thick intellectual veneer and a calculated respectability. He knows that one of the best ways to preserve the inner secrets of an occult order is to envelop them in a fog of the esoteric occultist verbiage that is virtually indecipherable to the uninitiated. I want to read that one more time because I believe that's what Alice Bailey does. I believe that's what Crowley did. I believe that's what Lavatsky did. Albert Pike surely does it. I think it's a very common thing in the occult circles, especially the Freemasonry and different things like that. But uh, he says here, he knows the best. She says here again. So again, I'll read it. She says, he knows that one of the best ways to preserve the inner secrets of an occult order is to envelop them in a fog of esoteric occultist verbiage that is virtually indecipherable to the uninitiated. Aleister Crowley, a past master of this approach, is one of his heroes. It is prudent to the subject that virtually every statement Aquino makes regarding the philosophy and intentions of the Temple of Set to carefully scrutinize them. Let me read that again. It is prudent to subject virtually every statement Aquino makes regarding the philosophy and intentions of the Temple of Set to careful scrutiny. In recent years, Aquino has even taken to encouraging Temple members to learn techniques of stage magic, conjuring, and mentalism, noting that when taken out of their entertainment context, such parlor tricks can be used to manipulate and intimidate curious outsiders. Such training is incorporated into Aquino's concept of lesser black magic, or LBM, which involves techniques of attention control and behavior and attitude manipulation. Okay. Now, let's read here what she says. She, she speaks a little bit more about what they believe as far as the Temple of Set. And then we'll go to Aquino's book, The Temple of Set, and read from what he says. She says, Aquino and the Temple of Set are particularly ambiguous on the subject of good and evil. The Cetian concept of good and evil is based on the idea that whatever is good for one individual may well be considered evil by someone else. And who is to say who is right and who is wrong? Aquino cautions his followers that profane society... Aquino cautions his followers that a profane society will tolerate them only if they are perceived to be ethical people. By insisting that he approves of destructive behavior and waving the word ethical about like a shield, Aquino usually manages adroitly to sidestep the implications of such radical philosophy of moral relativism. Temple of Set members are taught that their mundane human natures are inferior they are expected to create their own magical selves within a unique universe, a superior dimension of magical reality governed by each magician's subject morality. This process tends to create a split in the members' personalities as magical lives take on a sort of hyper-reality 
that overshadows their everyday existence. The temple scorns the use of many common mind control practices such as chanting or food and sleep deprivation, but the emphasis on intense meditative ritual combined with the overwhelming volume of study materials in the black magic arts, LBM techniques, and other subjects is likely to monopolize whatever free time the member might have and focus his or her attention totally on the temple. Pressures to become one of the magical elect of such an elite organization and the accompanying contempt shown for the rest of society can aggravate members' sense of alienation from the outside world, sometimes to the point of paranoia, and can foster an extreme dependence on the group as a source of self-validation. Now, uh, before we go on any farther, I just wanted to kind of uh, mention that what she was saying about the beliefs that there are no moral absolutes as far as the way the Temple of Set perceives the world. Well, that is exactly what we read in the W.L. Wilmhurst book. of I think it's called The Meaning of Masonry. And it's also the exact same thing that Albert Pike talks about in Morals and Dogma. And he talks about it in several areas in that large book. So, so we see that so many of these esoteric belief systems have that in common, that there are no moral absolutes. And I said before that I think that's very, very problematic because it's like I've been saying for quite a long time now, it's this, it's this fundamental belief in dualism to the point that everything evens out. So why even care? And it makes me wonder if the rulers behind policies, the rulers behind governments, do not also have this esoteric belief system that it all evens out in the end, so why care, right? And so that's the way they justify in their minds doing evil in order to create what they want to create, the world that they want to create. Order out of chaos. Well, if you kill a lot of people, if you injure a lot of people, if you displace a lot of people, if you ruin the lives of countless people, if you indebt future generations, in order to get the order, the new world order, out of that chaos you created, and you don't believe that there are any moral absolutes or any consequences, really, negative consequences, because those negative consequences will even themselves out in this, in this reconciliation of the opposites or whatever. Uh, and I'm not saying that there is not something to some of those beliefs in nature, but to take it too far, which humans always do, I always say that people are fundamentalists, humans are fundamentalists, and they take things so far that they become unreasonable, and you know the age of reason became unreasonable because of this similar thing so you know i just think that we need to look out for that when you've got the temple of set which is the temple of satan an offshoot of the church of satan saying the exact same thing as two of the most revered freemason writers in the world then you understand that that's a pretty serious commonality that they have together and we see that 
more and more there's pushed no moral absolutes. And in one sense you get it because you see that, say, the Catholic Church has taken things too far with their absolutes and haven't been consistent and, and haven't walked the walk, and other Christians as well. But to understand that obviously there is things out there in the world that are truly evil and things out there in the world that are truly good, as I mentioned, I think, on my last show. I mean, we know that. Human beings know that. We, we sense that. We don't even need to be told that or taught that. So it really troubles me that some of these occult writers do not differentiate. And, of course, we're talking about the Temple of Set, the Temple of Satan, so we don't expect them to. And I think that's just another link we have in the fact that at the upper echelons, the elect, the adepts in Freemasonry, uh, I think that they are Luciferians. And uh, whether they want to be called that, whether they call themselves that or not, uh, they have certainly have that in common with the satanic cults. And um, it's, it's very dangerous because, you know, a lot of us don't want to be told what to do. And we don't want to have anybody tell us what our morals should be. But when people take it so far as there are no moral absolutes, period, and it all evens itself out, yin and yang, that's that's pretty concerning. And I think it's one of the big problems in the world. And as I said, I believe that the higher occult realms of ruling elites also believe the same thing. And I think that's how they justify it. And it's kind of like how, uh, you know, with uh, we, we've learned how the Shriners and the Jesters through the occult rejects their, their uh, investigations into this. We've learned that, yeah, the Shriners do some really good things with their hospitals, there's no doubt. But it seems to be a justification for doing really bad things. And uh, I think that's, you know, it's kind of like uh, what uh, Adam Curry says, right? I've mentioned this a few times, but he calls it moral self-licensing. So you do something good, to justify doing something evil. So I think that we need to be aware of that and realize that is going on in our world. And so we get to the end of this first episode on Aquino and the Temple of Set. And I've called it On Satan's Set, Part 1. And I hope that you enjoyed it and got something out of it. I hope you will tune in to the Part 2 and I don't know, actually, now that I say that, I have a part five on Freemasonry that's almost finished. Because my last show that I did on Freemasonry last week had so much information left over that I was like, well, I might as well just do a whole other show on this. And I continued to find interesting things. So I may put that one out first before part two on the Temple of Set. Just bear with me. I really thank you for listening, as always. I hope you'll continue to follow me on social media. That's underscore the odd man out on Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to follow me on Facebook, it is facebook.com forward slash the oddcast FT, the odd man out. And I'm on all kinds of other stuff too, but those are the main ones. If you'll go on my profile in the Twitter or the Instagram, 
you'll see my link tree and it's got the links to all the different platforms that I'm on. I'm going to start putting more stuff on BitChute very soon. So look out for that. Thank everybody who has given anything to the Oddcast featuring the Odd Man out through Patreon. And if you want to become a member of the Society of the Cryptic Savants, then just go to patreon.com forward slash the Odd Man out. But if you don't support me, please support somebody else because, look, it's, you know, time is money, as I always say, and time is getting short. And, man, with three kids, a wife, a home to take care of, a job to take care of, and everything else, it's time is really costly. And I'm not trying to complain. I enjoy doing this, and I want to continue to do it for you. I'm really delving into these books and different things and trying to bring you deeper subjects and do more research on the things that I'm talking about. So I really appreciate it. I hope you all have a great week. Cheers and blessings to you all. And remember, their order is not our order. See ya. Yeah.